helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Welcome, my name is Melissa Waggett and I am the co-host of the Life Transformation Show and I want to welcome you to this week's episode. This week we are going to be discussing the effects of incest on children. We recognize that this topic may be a little bit uncomfortable for some of our listeners, but we really want to encourage you to listen with us as we explore this topic together. For those of you who may be new to the show, I want to welcome you in particular. We are so happy to have you join us this week. If you wish to find out more about this show or Elam Counseling Services, we encourage you to go to our website at elamcounselingministry.com. Elam is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. Or you can always call us toll free at one 544 3546 I also want to take this time to introduce my co-host to you. For those of you who join us week after week, you will not be surprised who's with me in studio. It is Michael Hart. He is going to be walking through this topic with me today. He's also an award-winning psychotherapist and director of Elam Counseling Services. Welcome, Michael. Welcome, Melissa, and thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. It, I'm so excited every time that we get together to do another show because I'm getting a lot of uh, calls from people and a lot of contact on our social media pages about people who have listened to the show and uh, who are saying that these shows are having a positive impact on their lives. Uh, some people who have come in to see me uh, have come in because of what they've heard us discuss on the show. So these things that we're talking about, it's not just a theoretical exercise. Uh, We are talking about very real situations that are impacting people's lives. And so, you know, uh, there are those who might be uh, uncomfortable with some of what we are talking about, but I'm sure that there are others who are very thankful that we are touching on these very subjects because uh, these things are things that have affected many people for for years, and they're not being discussed in many of our churches. And that's the whole point of the show. We often try to be very intentional in the topics we pick, where we're trying to pull things that, as you say, are happening in our circles, but they're happening in the shadows. And we're trying to pull them out of the shadows so people can realize there's hope and there's help out there. And more importantly, they're not alone. And maybe to give a voice to something that they may have experienced as a child and had no idea what it was, that it's not okay, that it wasn't their fault. They didn't have words for it. And they've grown up with these effects of it and not really understood why. So today's show, we're hopefully going to unpack some of that. Yes. And I think what is also very important is that sometimes we have a a, a very uh, idealistic view of what the churches or what church members are supposed to be like. But the statistics are showing that many people who perpetrate these terrible offenses, and we're talking about incest today, are are people who are very uh, very big positions in churches sometimes. Uh, it's it's not as as previously thought that people who would do these acts they're they're like delinquents uh, or delinquent of people society. and you know they're they they are people who are on welfare and so forth. That's not the case at all. Many people who do these things, some of them are doctors, some are lawyers and some people are even ministers of the gospel. 
And so when we are talking about this, the church is not exempt. And we have all type of people in, in the churches. And we shouldn't be surprised because the the church, it's like a hospital for for sinners. It's not a place where perfect people meet. Mm-hmm. All right, but, we wouldn't be there, right, no, Melissa? No, that's just exactly it. We're all in good company. But I think it's always a good place to start as a reminder because sometimes mm-hmm. we get in these circles and we put on our best Christian mask and we look at our neighbor in the pew and they look bright and shiny. But the reality, as you say, we're we're in the, the hospital of sinners and right. we come with our stuff. So that being said, we set off the top that this is pretty common, this yes. topic of incest, unfortunately. I'm wondering just for the purposes of our discussion, if you can remind us some of the stats we talked about in last week's show. Yes, and I'd like to say, well, talking about last week's show, last week, if you have missed last week's show, I think it would be very helpful uh, to go to our website and to listen to this show uh, because it will help you to understand the context in which we're doing today's show. Because last week's show, we talked about the family dynamics, how to identify the type of family in which these things are likely to be taken place. And we looked at, I think it was five different, uh, six different uh, components of the of what are the characteristics of uh, of, of family in which incest is likely to be taking place. So if you have missed that show, please listen to that show. So you've asked about the statistics, how how common it is. The statistics show that one in four girls are victimized by sexual abuse and that it is oftentimes it's a very close family member, usually the father or the stepfather of the family. And the statistics also show that it's not just girls who are affected by who, who suffer sexual abuse, but we also, statistics show that one in seven boys are affected by, by sexual abuse as well. So it's quite a common, unfortunately, a very common occurrence in our society and something that we need to talk about so we can help people. So in today's show, we're going to be talking about the impact of incest on, on children and what can, what can be done to help to overcome some of those impacts. It's really very uh, tragic that sometimes I have people who come before me who are not even aware that they're still suffering from the ravages of what's been done to them as children. And they think that's just how life is. That's just how I am. But when, when we go deeper in, in, and start talking about the issues in a deep way, they come to realize that this sexual abuse, the incest that happened has affected every area of, of their lives. And so I wonder if we can start there. If you can begin to paint a picture in what ways do you see the effects of sexual abuse and incest in someone's life beyond childhood? Yes, I'd like to say to begin with that there's often uh, a sense of being conflicted in children who suffer incest because you're talking about a very confusing, uh, a very confusing act. It's a father, usually a father who is supposed to be protecting and nurturing a child who ends up doing this very terrible act that impacts the child negatively for the rest of him or her life. And so there is often a conflict in feeling that the, the, the child will have feelings of guilt and shame 
where at the same time they will have feelings of love for the for the father. So there there's also can be feelings of of, of anger as well as a result of what is being done. So you have these conflicting feeling feelings of of shame and guilt, of, of feelings of anger, but then also you might have feelings of love or or, or or pleasure because the same dad that does these terrible things at night is a dad that is very loving and caring in other way. So this creates confusion in the in in the minds of children who suffer incest. So and one and one uh, and once in one part of themselves, they hate this father, or they're bitter because of what is happening. But then there is this other part that is really in love. And then to con- to make the matter even more confusing is the is the uh, conflict between pain and pleasure. Because in in these acts that are being perpetrated against these children, many children experience a mix of pain and pleasure. They hate what is being done, but at the same time, their body responds in ways that bring pleasure. And so, uh, and, and the, their their bodies respond to the the, the pleasure, the feelings of of what uh, the acts of what is being done to them, and so this 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 creates confusion and guilt because if I am a good girl or if I am a good boy, and this is being done and I don't like it, then the the the, the, the mistaken feeling is that my body should not be responding the way that it. It does, and so uh, this is something that we usually have to work through with people who come in who are victims of sexual abuse because they often carry a, sh- a sense of shame that I I enjoyed it in some way. But we have to help people to see that God created their bodies to respond in certain ways. So even they did, even though they didn't want to be a part of it, they were powerless victims who had things done to them, and their body responded the way that God created their bodies to respond doesn't make them guilty of the act. So we see young children, or we see people who have been molested as young as seven or eight who feel that they were somehow bad because they, they somehow liked it and kept that secret for many years. And I'm just thinking this, sitting here as an adult with my adult brain and my adult thoughts, and how confusing the what you've described for me and that conflict of emotion is for me my adult brain yes i think the other thing in the context too as you're describing that these feelings and emotions are being interpreted at a immature child brain adding to that complexity too so my ability to rationally think and all that stuff has developed over time as my brain has grown with me as an adult but you're you're talking about a seven and an eight-year-old brain that's not even fully developed yet trying to process this so yes. adding to that confusion too. Absolutely. And so one of the things that we find that happen as in an attempt to survive is that children become very good at compartmentalizing. And by compartmentalizing, I mean that they create different compartments of their brain where they might have a part of their brain that the good daddy uh, the version, the, the version of their father that they like is stored. So they have the good daddy compartmentalized part of the brain in which that's the daddy that takes them to picnic and does all the fun stuff with them. But then you have the, the bad daddy, uh, compartmentalized part of the brain where that part, all the memories of the, the sexual abuse and all the, uh, the awful thing that has been done to them by this, so, this father who is supposed to love 
love them. And so a lot of times we find that that part, the part where the dark uh, deeds are stored, it's not uncommon for people to block that part away so so deeply that in some cases the memories do not come back until later on in life. I, I've had clients who who have come in who uh, for many years did not recall their abuse until something in later life triggered it. And so what kind of things, we've talked about triggers a lot in the past, do bring these memories to light and take them out of those dark compartments that our little kid brains have locked them away. And I'm wondering, before you get to that, actually, why are we locking them away in the first place? What is the purpose of me making that bad daddy box as you t- you say right so it's a it's a way to survive right because to 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 deal with this very opposing view of dad, the dad that loves and care and the dad that teaches me about the Bible and tell me the things that I need to know in order to be a well-adjusted human being in life. That dad, that version of dad, conflicts with the dad who is committing the act of incest at night when everyone else is sleeping. And so it's an attempt to survive because those two compartments, those two dads doesn't fit well together. So the child will often choose to keep the image of the good daddy in her mind in order to cope. So to answer your question, it's a way of coping. The image of the bad daddy to keep those memories alive and to think about them day in, day out, when the child feels powerless it would be would be too overwhelming so children develop this great uh, capacity to dissociate from parts of from memories that are are overpowering or very traumatic so it's a it's a way of coping so to cope uh, a child will often uh, think of images while the act is being done that they're not there one woman talks about looking out the window and pretending that she's playing with her imaginary friend as a way of coping. So it's as if she became very numb to what has been done and dissociated from it to the point where it did not, she had no recollection of that memory for many years. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Life Transformation Show. This week, we are covering the topic of incest within families and the effect on children. If you missed the first half of today's show, we encourage you to listen to it on our website at elamcounselingministry.com. Elam is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. Or you can call us toll-free at one 544 and we'd be happy to give you a copy of today's show. Before we continue to covering this week's topic, Michael, there was a note you wanted to make for our listeners about the retreat that we've been speaking about for the past number of weeks now. Yes, uh, the retreat is is currently full, as I said a couple of uh, uh, last show as well. But if you'd like to put your name on the waiting list, you might do so, just in case we have a cancellation or cancellations. Uh, and this retreat, I think, is an excellent opportunity to work through some of the things that we have 
we are talking about today. And I'm sure that there are people who are coming to the retreat who have heard us talk about topics like this on this show, and they realize that they haven't dealt with some of the the, the trauma that they have suffered in childhood. And so many people will be coming out to work through these difficult things. But the retreat is also an opportunity to, to, to get away and to zero in on the spiritual power that's available to break through in situations like those. So even though we're a counseling organization, we believe very strongly in in the spiritual component, the the power of the spiritual component, the the power of God. And so when we meet in these retreats, spirituality is a big part of the healing for the weekend. So if you'd like to find out more, then please go to our website at elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. And speaking of the spiritual, if you can't join us on that weekend, we also do ask very much that you pray for us and our participants. We do very much believe in the power of prayer and that God can do great miracles um, on a weekend like this. So we pray um, that you would join us in prayer for this retreat and those people who would be coming, that they would be impacted and their lives would be changed. So, Michael, before we broke, you were talking about the reason children compartmentalize these memories as an act of survival. But you were talking about as well that sometimes in later life, these memories come back. And you mentioned the term triggers, which we've heard a few times, not even a few times, many times on this show. And I'm wondering if you can paint a picture of what kind of um, events or things trigger these memories to come back to the forefront when someone may have buried them for years and years. One of the very common things that we find with women, especially in in my practice that I see, I have had a number of women over the years who have come in as a result of having a daughter, that they they have a young child and all of a sudden they see how vulnerable and how, how unprotected that child is. And so the memory starts surfacing about their childhood uh, as a result of having a daughter. Sometimes it's uh, uh, when the daughter reaches the age at which they were, they were the incest started. Uh, for some of my clients, they, they, once their daughter hits that age, it's as if almost they can see themselves in that child and, and the memory started surfacing again. Uh, in other people, it's the act of marriage where they're now in a marital relationship. Maybe they, they have lived uh, a, a celibate life after for most of their adult life and now they're in a marital relationship where the sexual act is a part of that marital relationship and they're very, very uncomfortable and they're, ex- they're, they're, they're being triggered by things that they, that their husband is 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 doing in an act of love, and it, instead of enjoying those actions, they're terrified, and this is usually a sign that this is usually when some of those other memories start surfacing as well. And so, what other behaviors or emotions do people sometimes experience if they have uh, survived an incest situation as a kid? Another thing is 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 the word we described by the word confirm. So, so far we have used all C words. We talk about being conflicted. We talked about compartmentalizing, but now we talk about confirming. For children who have been uh, victims of incest uh, and where they, they are now feeling guilt or shame for what has been done, they act in ways to confirm that they are, in fact, a bad girl. 
are a bad boy. So the reason for that is that it's easier to think of themselves as being bad than to think of daddy being bad. And so to reinforce this feeling of being a bad person, a bad girl or a bad boy, they start playing the role of the bad person. And as you say, then those behaviors that they're thinking about themselves may be reinforced for other reasons and confirming that. Mm -hmm. But I think that's really interesting because the reality is that it isn't their fault and they didn't cause any of it. But as you say, it's easier so many times to say, well, it must be me. It couldn't be my dad because it's way harder to say this is my dad or someone close to me who caused this. It's so much easier to say it's my fault. But my heart breaks for that, though, as well, because that's a lot of weight to bear over a lifetime feeling like it's your fault or you need to confirm this untruth. Right. And so to confirm that bad self, they they start acting in ways so they will act out in terms of drug use or other delinquent behavior, promiscuity. And many children who are depicting this sort of behavior, they're doing it for a reason. They're not just bad. They're acting. Oftentimes, it's a way of confirming that I must be a bad person because it couldn't be that. So I must be the one who wanted this. I must be the one. Sometimes uh, young girls surprisingly feel as if they're the one who initiated this. And so they they start acting in a way with a lot of self-hatred, promiscuity, a cutting behaviors, and, and things like that are sometimes a way of saying that I am I am bad, I deserve this punishment that I am doing to myself and the ways that I am making other people treat me. And I think that, I, I, I just think again, when you interact with young people, now, it, to change your perspective of those behaviors and trying to find the intent, because sometimes the intent is, is quite deep, as you've described yes. here, and it's, the behaviors are just a symptom of right. something bigger going on. What other things do we see? And so so the next uh, C word is, is, is the word contrast. So when... Uh, people are victims of of incest, they sometimes go to the opposite. So they can either confirm that they're bad or they might go to the other extreme of contrasting against what the act of incest represents. So let us think about, for example, what this act of incest represents. It represents a situation that's unpredictable. You didn't expect that from a father who is loving or caring. It represents a situation that is out of your control and one in which you're powerless. So the contrast to that is to start uh, behaving in ways that affirm that you do have some control over your life. So things like eating disorders can be a way of maintaining that kind of control. I might have no control over what happened to me in this incestuous relationship, but I do have control over what I eat. OCD tendencies can also be a form of control. I I can control how things are organized, or I can control certain rituals that I play in my mind. Or I might become a perfectionist type of OCD where everything has to be perfect and neat. These things can be a way of contrasting to what happened in in the sexual act. 
So now that we've covered contrast, I'm wondering if there's another、uh, C word. We seem to have a theme going on. Yes. That people do when they've experienced this type of incest. Yes, I think the other C word that we we find、uh, with victims of incest is that they can be discover this hiding of the body, where a person will sometimes even their very posture can be one as as if they they lack confidence. They 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 act in a way as if they they want to hide. So there's this hiding of the body, and this is one of the first thing that we found in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. It was this covering of themselves with leaves as a way of of hiding hiding their bodies from、uh, hiding the shame that they felt from their body. And so, where is this need to hide coming from? What is the purpose behind that? Yes,、yeah, so、I think this need to hide is from as a result of the shame and the guilt,、uh, similar to Adam and Eve in the garden. They know that they had done something really awful, and so the instinct is to cover that. And so the the leaves that they they saw they, they they put together to cover that shame is represented by many different things today. I think people sometimes cover themselves by 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 weight by putting on a lot of weight. And I'm not saying that everyone who is overweight is somehow covering something. But I have had、uh, people who have told me that I became this big because I felt that when I am like this, no one is ever going to do that to me again. It's as if I became totally made myself look unattractive because I wanted to protect myself from being the being someone who is is used in for sexual gratification by someone else. People can also cover themselves by by by. Distracting attention away from their body by the kind of clothes that they wear and so forth. Some people might hide in their clothes. Other person might go to the other extreme. They 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 wear extremely uh, extremely uh, clothes that really stand out. So if you look at them, you are drawn. To something that they're wearing, and I'm not saying again that everyone who dresses well is going through this, but these are some of the things that we find happen in situation where people are trying to hide their body. Anything else that we see? I think the other the other C word, and we're running out of time today, is is constrict. I think the other thing that、uh, victims of incest do is to constrict. Like sex is this bad thing that that was used. Uh, to harm me, and so I don't want to have anything to do with it. So they can go the extreme of being promiscuous, but they can also go the extreme where I want to play it safe. I don't want to have anything to do, and this is the,、uh, the, then Christianity becomes a very fertile、uh, ground for that kind of thinking as well, because many people who are are so. Uh, Are, are are so adamant about remaining pure, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes it's it's a safe way of saying I don't want anything to do with that. So people can pretend that they don't have sexual needs, or become very judgmental against other people who express any interest in sex, and and so this can be a way of of saying that I don't want anything to do with this bad thing by which I was armed. With the time we have left, if people have identified with anything we've talked about today, what would be your advice on terms of them getting some help? These things are really very 
deep rooted. And I think for a lot of other shows, we give like suggestions that you can do at home to to deal with those issues. But when it comes to incest, you're dealing with something that, first of all, from the show last week, we see is rooted in family culture. And so it's something that's very hard to to speak up about and to get over. So I think the, the, the main thing I would like to say about this show is that you need help. You need to be able to sit with a professional and to talk about this. The other thing I'd like to say too is that if you have been carrying shame and guilt and feel as if you are going to carry that secret to your to your grave, I would like you to know that you did nothing wrong that you need to be ashamed of. It's the person who did it to you that should carry that shame. So do not carry the shame for that other person. Realize that you are the victim and that you can speak up and that you can get help for what has been done to you. And I see that we are quickly out of, sh- out of time today. Would I like to remind you of our contact number? You can call us at one 844 3546 or you can go to our website at elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's ministry.com. And I would also like to remind you that if you would like to begin to uh, heal from some of what we have talked about here today and you'd like to register for one of our healing retreats or for counseling, please give us a call at any of those numbers and so at, at the number that I have just given. And so until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services and Melissa Waggett praying together that God would bless you in all your relationships and to keep you sound in mind and pure in heart.